and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Going for Two, presented by Home Field Apparel. I am the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter and your host, Matt Brown, I'm joined here by my colleague and friend, Brian Fisher. And you might be wondering, well, wait a minute, why is there another podcast? It's not Wednesday. Going for Two comes on on Wednesdays. So I want to open this with some news. Um, this is, I think, exciting. The response to Going for Two has been really positive over the last several months. After uh, Brian and I ended up moving into the D1 ticker family, we have a little bit more resources and infrastructure. Um, and uh, most of your college sports programs tend to decrease the number of times they publish uh, out of the offseason. We're the opposite because it's it's nothing but offseason for us, right? So we're going to now do two Going for Twos a week. Um you're still going to have the regular episode. It's, you know, we'll have to adjust it a little bit depending on the news cycle. Generally on Wednesdays, maybe sometimes it'll be on Tuesdays, but generally there, you're going to have another episode that's going to be later in the week. Uh, and the focus there is to also help highlight some of the most clicked, the biggest stories that were highlighted on D1 Ticker uh, throughout the week. These have been the, 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 the most newsy events, the biggest things that happened uh, throughout the entire college sports industry. Over the last week, one of the really the biggest ones was reporting out of The Athletic from Scott Docterman that showed that the Big Ten was at least considering getting rid of divisions entirely and, and also shifting to an eight-game conference schedule rather than a nine-game conference schedule uh, so they can play some games with the Alliance, the Pac-12 or the ACC, the kind of not SEC group. Uh, and so we wanted to bring Scott in to help talk about that. So. We're, we're, uh, we're joined here by Scott Docterman of The Athletic to talk about what we think was some really interesting reporting here earlier this week about what may be happening with the future of Big Ten football schedules, the not-SEC alliance media deals, a, a, a pretty potentially some transformative change here in the middle of the doldrums of January. Uh, Scott, thanks so much here for taking some time to chat with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I've been big fans of both of you for a long time, and I'm glad to finally be able to talk to you, uh, I guess, face-to-face -face over the computer anyway. Sure. It's it, it, it's a pleasure. Look, man, the, the road stuck too much for me to drive over there right now, so we're going to have to we're gonna have to deal with this here for a minute. Yeah. Um, to, in case our listeners were not aware, uh, our understanding is earlier this week on The Athletic, uh, you wrote that uh, you talked to Gary Barta at Iowa and, and, was, and poked around and found that the Big Ten is considering not just – Getting, doing away with divisions for future uh, scheduling uh, purposes, but also uh, you're moving from nine conference games to eight conference games with one of the the, 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 the makeup game then being with uh, an alliance opponent, whether that's a, a Pac-12 team or an ACC team. Is, is that accurate? Have I summed that up correctly? Yes, you have. Uh, you sum, summed it up well. And and really, there, there are multiple reasons why they came to this point. And I guess the easiest and first reason is during the COVID year, there were six different games that were adjusted home and away in the Big Ten. And a couple of those, like Michigan and Michigan State, wanted to get each other off the same cycle as Ohio State. So Michigan didn't want to play Michigan State and Ohio State the same year. They wanted to adjust them. And same thing with Michigan State. Uh, Nebraska had the same issue with Wisconsin and Iowa both being at home the same year, and they wanted to adjust that. So you can have kind of a marquee interdivision uh, opponent every other year and you can sell premium tickets and what have you. Um, so each year, the last couple of years, the Big Ten's had to adjust that schedule, which is why it came out with a new version uh, a couple weeks ago. In 2023, that's when uh, they got to do it again, but it's coupled with a lot of other factors, as you mentioned. One is 
that uh, there's the alliance that's been discussed repeatedly with the ACC and Pac-12 that they want to play each other. The Big Ten has nine games, and there's been a lot of discussion. Coaches don't like the nine games anyway, but there's been a lot of discussion to chop it to eight um, and, you know, allow more flexibility in non-conference scheduling. And, uh, and then you also have the confluence of this is the final year of the media rights arrangement with Fox and, and the ESPN family and networks. So it comes out for the 2023 season. And, uh, and then there's the imbalance that's been discussed regarding the East versus West. Now, in regular season play, there's really no imbalance whatsoever. It's 77 to 70 in favor of the East. Ohio State's 18 and 2. They, they skew whatever format you're going to go into. It's the championship game format, which is eight to nothing in favor of the East and Ohio State's won five of those. So all of those factors right now have put them in a situation where it's good to get a discussion as to what's the future scheduling model that they want. Is is it divisions? Is it readjusted divisions? Is it nine games? Is it eight? Is it play the Alliance games? Is it not? Is it, uh, you know, do you just protect, say, three rivalries and then cycle through everybody else two years on, two years off. Um, you know, uh, all of that's up in the air. And, and then you throw on the college football playoff component, which is really kind of why they're almost delaying it because they want to see what the format's going to be before they commit to it. Um, so we've seen a lot of the confluence of so many different angles here that they're just trying to sort it all out. And they're having some pretty robust discussions about it and have since really last fall. Scott, we're old enough to remember going back when, when Penn State joined the league and, and how that schedule was adjusted there. We're even old enough to remember legends and leaders, of course. Uh, um, is there any sacred tenets that, that the Big Ten really wants to protect? I guess from both the school level and from the conference level, obviously you want Ohio State, Michigan to play at the end of the year. But outside of that, is, is there anything kind of sacred in terms of those rivalries, in terms of ultimately what they kind of want the format to be? Yeah, that's a great question. And as you said, when Penn State joined the league, I mean, one series that's been interrupted twice because of expansion is Iowa, Wisconsin. And uh, both times they both they fought, Barry Alvarez in particular. The first time was when Penn State joined. Then uh, that was the first time in, in 60 years that Ohio or that Iowa and Wisconsin didn't play. And Barry Alvarez is like, hey, let's do something different. So in an 11 team league, they figured it out. Two protected rivals cycle through the other eight teams six times over an eight-year period, and it seemed to work. Then when Nebraska came, they split legends and leaders, you know, by equitable means. Um, that was another that, – that series got interrupted again because, as we know, Jim Delaney wanted to split the top four, split the next two, and then just kind of flow everybody else in based on rivalries and geography. And, and that was another one that got shelved. So when Maryland and Rutgers came, they wanted to be tied to Penn State. Um, then – Alvarez went back to Delaney and said, let's just make this geographical. And the big fight, there wasn't really a fight, but the big discussion was whether Michigan State or Purdue should go west. And Michigan State would have gone west and wanted to, except it was supposed to leave the Michigan rivalry behind. And it didn't want to do that, of course. And so it decided to go east. And then they sent Purdue west. And Purdue was allowed to keep that Indiana game. So as far as sacred rivalries go, I think there's probably close to 10 that, that I don't think they want to have interrupted. And each school, at least the old school schools, uh, have their own, you know, rivalries. I mean, I think, you know, Ohio State with Michigan is number one, and I don't even think there's a number two. But but then you have the Indiana, Purdue, you have Northwestern, Illinois, Michigan, Michigan State. I think, you know, Wisconsin, Minnesota is the oldest or the most played rivalry in Division One football. Iowa, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, those are really pivotal. And then you throw in a, a Nebraska into the mix, and that series 
series with uh, Iowa is, is turned into, you know, a nice series on Black Friday and not quite as important as maybe people you know, hope it would be. But, but you know, then, then you have kind of that second tier, and that's what's going to be the discussion is, you know, Michigan State plays Indiana for the brass spittoon, and it's a neat little rivalry. It's close. I'd say basketball is probably a little more fiery. Or yeah. um, is, the, is that important enough to save? Is the land-grant trophy important enough to save? Maybe there are so there's so many trophies. There's like yeah. six monopoly boards worth of things that Big Ten schools hand out, and they give you know two of the new ones every other year. It would be impossible to save all every single trophy game. Absolutely, and and that's what they got to figure out is like like the yeah. land grant trophy in itself. The trophy is just a trophy. It's a trinket, or uh, like uh, Iowa one. and uh, Nebraska play for the Heroes Trophy. That's just you know, somebody, you know, in a marketing room they came up with, but the games itself matter to those fan bases. And, and if you're the big 10 and then, and then also your media rights partners, do you say, Hey, if you're going to give it a choice here between Michigan state, Indiana, or Michigan state, Penn state, um, which one's going to rate and which one we want. And, you know, the media rights partner is going to say, Hey, the, the Michigan state Penn state games has got a chance. I mean, it had almost 4 million viewers last year. And, and that was opposite uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota that had five. So yeah. that was a really an important game. It is most years. So that's how that's probably going to play out. I, my guess is with three rivals is probably for a lot of schools, it'll be easy. I think with Iowa and, and, and Minnesota, it'll be easy, I think. Um, but then you got Maryland and Rutgers and which teams really fit there. And, and would the Big Ten say, you know what, we want to really establish those brands out in the East Coast. So maybe we'll instead of uh, having the little brown jug game between Minnesota and Michigan, we'll throw Michigan out to, to Rutgers and Ohio State will play Maryland instead of Indiana or something like that. So, but those all discussions, you know, the, you've got the, you know, the, the local point of view and then you got the holistic big picture. So I, I would expect there to be about nine or 10 that are probably like, okay, we're not going to touch these. And then yeah. there's going to be a whole bunch that are going to be under heavy discussion as to how often and the frequency in which they play. I want to talk about that local perspective a little bit. We, we can get to what Fox and what other corporate entities might be interested in here, but, but you're obviously much more plugged into how Iowa fans think than I think Brian and I are. And I, that's a particularly interesting uh, fan base as far as scheduling is concerned because Iowa's got to play Iowa State every year. Um, uh, and they, uh, over the last decade or so, haven't played a lot of other um, name brand P5-ish programs out of conference. I know some fans think that sucks. Some fans really like it. And, and in this kind of system, well, you are guaranteed probably to play more teams that maybe you've heard of outside of the Midwest, but it might end up being Wake Forest or it might end up being Oregon State. It might end up being a, a bigger deal. But when you decrease those conference games, that could theoretically mean that maybe you don't play uh, maybe maybe you maybe you miss Wisconsin uh, as often as you had before. Maybe you don't play Ohio State or Michigan as often. What have you heard from Iowa fans about this proposal? Is it something they like? Is it something they're afraid of? What's what's the mood in Iowa City? Well, there there's been a lot of complaints once the Big Ten went from eight to nine games that there's not a lot of variety in the non-conference schedule, and then they've gotten hit for it, and it's really not their fault because. Uh, when you're playing nine conference games and then you add that an in-state uh, opponent every year that's a Big 12 team and it's a rival in Iowa State, uh, there's not a lot of room. You know, very few schools go to 11. Um, I think yeah. there's only about four or five nationally that do it. And usually they're the the power five teams like a Purdue or, or somebody who, who who's 
you know, the revenues doesn't quite matter as much as the home revenue for an Iowa. So it, it's really the criticism isn't fair. There's not a, a Wisconsin state. There's not a Nebraska tech or a Minnesota state other than on the show coach, you know, <laughs> so yeah. it's a less level. So take uh, that thing, Thomas. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you're right. Iowa does have to play Iowa State. Uh, they do have a contract through 2025. They've had their issues with Iowa State over the years. So it's not exactly a uh, an easy situation for them. But but I think that there's a lot of interest in um, in scheduling just a different opponent. I mean, you know, when there was, the Big Ten was eight games before 2016, then they played Pittsburgh with frequency or Arizona or Arizona State and Syracuse yeah. and, and teams like that. And uh, but. But then the, the question becomes not for, for an Iowa. I mean, or you know, we can look even Big Ten wide. We would all love Ohio State Clemson or Michigan USC or Ohio State Oregon or, you know, of those types of teams. But when you start getting into teams five, six, seven, and eight, and you're like, Iowa, you, your choice is to either get that ninth game against Michigan State or Penn State, or you're going to NC State. Then you're going, is that really worth it? I mean, you know, they're power five teams. And like I saw, I was there last year and uh, for the Iowa Penn State game, it was a raucous atmosphere, two top five teams at that time. And versus if you're on, if you're going to NC State, no offense to the Wolfpack. I mean, you know, they're probably thinking the same thing in reverse. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a Duke's Mayo Bowl matchup. You know, that's not even an Outback Bowl matchup. So I yeah, think that's, right. uh, you know, th- that's another part of this question. And I think that's where the, the media rights uh, discussions come in is will Fox and uh, outlet number two say, OK, we would we would be OK with 35 mid-level average matchups, you know, Oregon State versus Minnesota and Boston College versus Indiana as long as you can sign us up for Michigan, USC and, and uh, you know, Oregon, um, Ohio state. And, and that's, or they're going to say, you know what, we think we get more value from an Iowa, Michigan state and Iowa Penn state game than we would, you know, some of those others. So I, I think that's going to be really interesting, but, but locally um, the, the big 10 West was kind of built almost for Iowa, every team on its border, they play yeah. and they have huge histories with all of them, except for Nebraska. And that's, still become you know pretty heated between the fan yeah, there's, there's definite acrimony between <laughs> those between those programs over the past couple of years and not just on twitter like it's there's there's real dislike yeah exactly you have kind of i always kind of compare it i said you have the the insecurity on iowa side with the the self-righteousness of nebraska side and they don't mix very well you know? oh it's beautiful when you have the little bit of midwestern passive aggressiveness yep. and how you have the proximity but without the stakes oh it's, it's the best like i, I brian and I, we talked about this those make the best college football rivalries it isn't necessarily who wins the title it's when it's an eight and five versus a five and six, you know, it's, 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 it's it, there's a little bit of Midwestern egg bolt to it, I think. And that's not really like making fun of Nebraska. Like I, I look at that with, uh, with genuine appreciation. I love watching that game, even when it's 10 to seven and stupid. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a good point. You, so you, you actually mentioned something else that I've been trying to kind of square the circle uh, on, on the media side, because if I'm Fox, I, I'm trying to imagine here from their perspective, I, I would be excited about having nine conference games because I would control almost all of that inventory. You know, maybe I send the, 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 the games that are less attractive to ESPN versus a second partner. 
we know that there's a possibility that Fox just becomes the Big Ten's primary or, you know, buys out ESPN's share for this. But if for the conference games, you you control that inventory because you it's the both the home and the away team are Big Ten. Mm-hmm. But in this world where we already know that the that the ACC is part of the alliance, that's going to be an ESPN property no matter what. Um, and presumably if that NC State Minnesota game is at NC State, that's ESPN's game. Mm-hmm. So even if you're getting some of these a, a more control of a couple of big out of conference games, wouldn't you be? Wouldn't it's harder? It's harder for me to see where Fox or somebody else would, would benefit knowing that you're going to lose a bunch of inventory. Am I am I off base here? No, I think you're right, and I think that's that's also part of it, as you said, because if you lose, let's say you lose um, Michigan State. Wisconsin and Iowa Penn State because you dropped eight games and then instead you you as you said you get a, a you know a Florida State Wisconsin game but it's at it's in Tallahassee then it's an ESPN property versus an uh you know Big Ten property which those other games do and you could say that the ratings will be comparable certainly the intensity will be much higher in Big Ten yeah. um, among fun. those types of teams and then uh, so yeah I think that really does enter the conversation and you know and then they have their draft is really fascinating the way they've set it up is you know they draft games but they also draft weekends uh, among yeah. the the entities the BTN gets picked like I've been told anywhere from like 13 to 19 is their first pick you know depending on the year so a lot of times that that's why they've picked uh, Iowa Nebraska because they know it's a standalone game and they can just kind of wrap all their programming around it on a big weekend. But, uh, but yeah, that, that's a great point because you just don't know if you want to surrender that game to, especially to ESPN, because I'm not so sure ESPN is going to be part of this. I mean, you know, especially now that they have the SEC intact with Oklahoma tech, I don't know the SEC needs the big 10 as much. And the big 10 may not say, look, we've got other, you know, CBS or somebody that's really, you know, angling to become that second partner. It might depend on who ends up becoming the Pac-12's primary partner in the future, right? If mm-hmm. Fox ends up being the primary rights holder for both of them, maybe this is uh, a, an easier decision to stomach um, rather than maybe the three of them being split up. If one's Apple or one's CBS and one's ESPN and one's Fox, it's harder for me to see how the math checks out. But, you know, I got to see minus in calculus. <laughs> no, I think you're I think you're right. And then. You know, but then it's also like, hey, are we willing to lose eight games and that's it, but have this extra inventory, this cross-divisional stuff? And and I, I think early in the year, there, there's some value to it, probably more than there is in the middle and the, in the end of the year. And But, you know, from Midwestern teams' perspectives, I know – like going to Arizona it was a nightmare for every single team that's done it um, because they go in the middle of September and it's 930 central time when they play because it's 100 degrees uh, yeah. down there. And they get back at five in the morning and it wrecks their next week. And a lot of times, you know, just whether it's the heat or the travel or, or playing a decent opponent, they lose a lot of those games. And so I think in their case and I think I know in the fans, hey, let's go and early November to, to Arizona as opposed to the second week of September, because I've seen a lot of Michigan State, Wisconsin, Iowa all lost out there because of some of those screwy envir- uh, elements. Yeah, hey, those 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 Big Ten trips are single handedly keeping Herm Edwards uh, in, in his job. So we'll, we'll put that aside. I, yeah. I, you know, Body going clocks back, are real, baby. Like that's exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, going back to 
the pandemic and and kind of the start of the Big Ten season, one of the few good ideas that really kind of sprang out of the Big Ten during that time period was that Champions Week. Yeah, and I've asked, uh, you know, around is if, is that idea, quote unquote, dead? Haven't really gotten a straight answer. I'm curious what you've heard about that. And, and is that possible to bring that back? Because that could solve some of those inventory issues you mentioned playing other Big Ten teams at the end of the year. That hasn't been part of the discussion now, but I think it should be, and I think it will be ultimately because some of the points that Jim Phillips has made about the expansion of the playoff and the more games for these student athletes, that maybe uh, a ninth game or the Champions Week game actually just becomes the twelfth game as opposed to the thirteenth game, and so therefore, you know, the final and and you know, you could do the. You could end your season the way the Big Ten used to, say the third, the Saturday before Thanksgiving, and then spread the Champions Week concepts over two weeks. You know, the the Thanksgiving weekend for like three or four games, and then do it the other way. And I think that's something that I know that they that they had a lot of people happy about. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the games got canceled because of COVID at that time. And but that's something that I think can enter that conversation, as you said, because if we're if one of the issues with the expansion of the playoff and going 12 games deep is, or 12 teams deep is you're asking players to play too many games. Well, you're actually just removing that for the top level teams anyway. And, uh, and, and that, so that's something I think can enter that conversation. I know we've kind of discussed it probably more as a staff in some ways than, than the, than the administrators have, but, um, but I do think it's something that will come back up. I mean, does the Big Ten just have to be basically be as flexible as possible and almost have kind of a couple of interim schedules? Because as much as it's benefiting them from a monetary standpoint to go to the media rights uh, negotiations right now, we'll probably know by, by the summer, ultimately, who their two partners are. They don't know what's the playoff is going to be constructed and, and how it's going to be constructed, uh, especially because it looks like that's that's coming in, in 2026. Um, obviously, there's some reviews in terms of the NCA and just the entire transformation of Division One in terms of the football calendar and how that might look different. Is the Big Ten almost kind of approaching things like we're, we're going to plan how we can, but we got to be a little bit nimble here uh, going forward because things might change on us. Yeah, that's kind of what Gary told me was, you know, the, the, all these different factors are at play. But their main eye is on the college football playoff and what the format is and how this is going to impact it. Because if they continue status, uh, if, if it continues as a four team playoff, even through 2026, if you're Ohio State, what's the advantage of going to an alliance? If you're already they already play like an, a, a primary uh, non-conference opponent almost every year, then you yep. throw on, hey, you know, through the alliance, you're going to play Clemson or you're going to go to USC um, and then you're you have no room for error in the big 10 season to become one of those four teams because there hasn't been a two loss team yet that's made the playoffs. So you could play this monstrous schedule and, and not get any reward for it. Um, now, if they go to the, the 12 team uh, method, which I think we all agree is probably going to happen in some fashion. And if the top four champions all receive buys, then it doesn't matter. They could play, you know, four great opponents in the non-conference and and none of it's going to matter if they win the Big Ten and then they'll most likely be in the top four every time. So that that does impact how they're going to look at this going forward. And and also for teams two and three that they hope to get in the playoff if it, in a 12 team field, you know, could be, you know, how they would uh, what they would want to do for you know, maybe not a West division team, but a team like that, you know, like team number one, maybe Ohio state two, maybe Penn state or Michigan three, team three, maybe the best of Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan, Penn state, something like that. 
And then, so they want to make sure that everybody's working out because of course it's going to be about <laughs> if you get in the playoff field, you're going to be making a lot more money than if you're team 13 and you're going to the citrus or outback bowl after that. One of the other things about all of this that is interesting is, I mean, this idea of just ditching divisions and back when SB nation was still a website that really existed. Um, a, a lot of the, you know, our college football colleagues there, you know, proposed plans to, for everyone to switch to protected rivalries and go to divisionless play. Excuse me, I think we call it pods, right? And there was, the, that's, that's the SEC might consider something like that. It's, it's very popular on, with fans and with message boards, particularly in like May, when we have nothing else to write about, right? right? But my understanding is that NCAA bylaws still require you to have football divisions if you're a 12 team league. And I know every, I know other power leagues are still kicking this idea around. And I know that we're kind of setting the whole constitution on fire right now. Anyway, do you envision any like bylaw or legislative obstacle to doing something like this? Or is this, Hey, if you ask for a waiver, you're obviously going to get it kind of deal. I think it's the latter. I mean, we, we've seen yeah. it with the the Big Twelve had to change, you know, had to get a waiver or a change uh, than able to play round robin and 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 do this. Now they're going to have twelve teams in another year or two or three, and and I'm sure they're going to still have a championship game, and maybe they won't have divisions. And likewise with the ACC during the COVID year, they invited Notre Dame for a year, and then they played one as one big conglomerate. And I think in some ways, what you're looking at with this is I expect this to, that to happen. I mean, however, the big 10 wants to decide how to crown its champion and have a championship game. I'm sure it's going to go to the NCAA and tell the NCAA what it wants to do as opposed to ask for it necessarily. <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, and, and same thing with the SEC. I mean, now that it's 16 teams, are they going to go to a pod format? Are they going to protected rivalry? I can't imagine only two divisions. You're never going to play anybody the way they're going you know, with their schedule. So I would, I, I think that it's, it, I mean, the NCAA is pretty feeble at this point anyway, and and holding up some sort of a plan that everybody wants and agrees to for some of its most prominent members just because yep. of, a, of a rule that's kind of arbitrary in nature, nature, I would say, would be almost laughable. And and really, you think about it, the whole the whole debate over divisional plays, it may have ignited realignment anyway, because if the Big Ten was allowed to play a uh, have a championship game with 11 teams, would it have even sought expansion at that point? You know, that, that remains to be seen. But, uh, you know, it, it, I think if anything, it, it reminded all the other schools like a Missouri that just how miserable it was under the thumb of the Big 12. Yeah, you know, well, there we go, man. If I, if I, if I wrote a sequel to my book, maybe maybe that's maybe that, that's one of the chapters, right? Um, <laughs> you, no, I, I, think, I think you're right, too. Of all of the uh, – it, it, with, with definitions of membership and conferences and divisional one status anyway kind of being reevaluated, I can't imagine ever, anyone saying what we need to do is protect the sacred concept of geographic divisional play. Um, you know, that, that would, that would, you know, think, think about what this would do to Northwestern. Like, I, I can't see that happening. <laughs> no, me either. I mean, I, I like that. Yeah. I mean, I live in the West division. I, I cover yeah. these games. I love some of the games and, and the ones that are probably cycle off would be like an Iowa Northwestern. I mean, they've been just a perpetual thorn in the Hawkeye side all these years and it's been um, a great yeah. series. And, and some of the teams, you know, even a Wisconsin Northwestern wouldn't necessarily be protected, and they're only two hours away, and and they've played 103 times, I think it is. So that that would kind of stink, but but by and large, you it's more about let's just protect the the ones that are sacred that you can't live without, and, and then cycle yeah. through. I mean, the Big Ten's concept with a 14 team league, which would be 
three protected rivals cycle through everybody else two years on, two years off is is actually better than what it is now because we're seeing. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State hasn't hosted Iowa since 2013, and it's, and so that's that's kind of nuts in its own right. Yeah. Oh, Scott, I was just curious, um, you know, the genesis of all this was, was you speaking to Gary Barta, and he's obviously coming off of that stint, I guess you will, as as the chair of the college football playoff selection committee. Um, you know, I, I saw him in, in Vegas in December, and he, he visibly looked like just relieved to not have that job anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm curious if you could provide some some insight in terms of why he even took that job in the first place and, and how he feels coming off of that, cycling out of the, the selection committee, because he definitely took some some slings and arrows uh, down the stretch there. This is a, this is a great question. The, uh, listen, we foiled with those emails. I saw people calling him Gary Farda. Yeah, that that job seems like it sucks. Nobody is. Nobody seems smart when you're on TV having to answer for decisions that maybe you don't even agree with. That that's all true. And when he took that job because Gene Smith stepped down and, and if you remember right, Gene Smith, when he stepped down as like the big tens uh, representative, part of it was because Ohio state had missed the playoff at least twice in a row. Yeah. And they won and they were champions. And, it, and so it seemed like the right move that maybe him not even be no, having no advocate for the big 10 in the room probably was hurting Ohio State to some extent. And and so Gary took it. Uh, and, and I've known him for a long, long time. We actually, I started in working in Iowa the same day he started as athletic director. So we've kind of coincided there. And yeah. and uh, when he took that gig, uh, he said, look, you know, I had, I had small kids for a long time. So I asked not to be a part of a lot of these committees nationally. Now that they're growing up, they're both in college at that point. I said, okay, I'll do it. And then so he took it over. And then uh, then everybody, of course, as we know, was more than happy to say, yes, you're our spokesman and and, and shove him out there. And, and the COVID year, towards the end, he <laughs> it, it was a really tough spot for him because he was basically arguing against his own self-interest against his worst enemy. And that was when he had to publicly tout Iowa State in his own state, who they recruited against, I as that. we know. Against Indiana, which if they get to the playoff or at least get to the New Year's Six, that's more money for his program, which ended up losing $42 million during the COVID year. So <laughs> and I remember just one side conversation. I guess I could say it now that I had and he just kind of laughed and he goes, can I just say I am so sick of talking good about Iowa State? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, I know. I know the administrative relationship between those two institutions um, and and their uh, their their kind of affiliated entities is is not always cuddly. Yeah. Um, they, like it could it couldn't have been fun. It couldn't have been fun. Yeah. So he had to deal with that, and yeah, and they're they're connected through the same board of regents, so they have to go through each other. And you know, it's it's like a lot of in-state situations, but here they're no pro teams, so it really gets magnified. But yeah, he's. I asked him about that the other day too. I didn't write anything, and he just said. Yeah, I'm kind of happy to turn it over to Ward Manuel. I told him, hey, whatever you want, uh, I'll be glad to help you out. But, you know, you could tell that he took a lot of arrows, you know, even for like the Cincinnati stuff. And, and you know, from our organization, a lot of people we that write for us. And and at the time, he was kind of blown away. I, I talked to him at, a, I think it was press box at Northwestern. And he's just like, look, we've, we've got like six more games. We know things are going to change. Why is everybody so ramped up over this Cincinnati being number five? And and uh, and it turned out to be okay, but it was just and he'd trip over his words, and I don't understand how he does that because he doesn't do that very regularly when he's around us. So, but I think he's very much happy to to pass that baton on, and and I don't think he'll ever want to be in front of 
uh, Reese Davis ever again uh, in a part <laughs> of my live audience. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I've, I've been pretty critical of Barta and extra points for some Title IX decisions or, or things with happened with Iowa swimming. Right. And he was a very easy punching bag yeah. for, for the, the playoff committee. And even then, I don't think like – I mean, we have to be mad at somebody. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I think the collective frustration, a lot of that's just projected over whether it's him, whether it's Kirby Hoka, whether it's uh, Jeff Long. Mm-hmm. I feel like the, the, the same tripping over words, the same trying to kind of square the circle from all these other things that you weren't necessarily a part of. Like, I, I don't know anybody who could do that job particularly well. And, and, and that wasn't his fault. I'm sure we'll yell at whoever's doing it next time. Um, for for making similar issues, right? Yeah, well, no question. Yeah, I mean, everybody, you know, you come from it in, in college football more than any other sport. It's uh, you know, rah rah, we're right, you're wrong, and and you're really rallying around your own flag. And, yeah. and in his case, you know, nothing he could have said would have been right. I mean, because you had those disagreements over, you know, like when Michigan was rated ahead of Michigan State, even though Michigan State won, and and. Um, you can make several different cases for that. And the, the contrarian opinion is, well, Michigan actually lost to a better team than Michigan state did, even though they lost head to head and you know, Ohio state, Oregon was a, another one in that situation, but then Cincinnati, the group of fives, you know, who they played and then trying to relay some of that conversation and it gets lost in, in translation. I think that could be a real detriment for whoever, whoever's taking those arrows um, every Tuesday night. Yeah. I'd, um, I'd be remiss if, if, since we had you on, Scott, if, if we didn't ask about the Iowa program itself, especially on, on the football side, Kirk Ferentz yeah. just got a new extension. Uh, you mentioned that forty-two million dollars loss. I'm, I'm sure that's something that, that Gary Barta has been dealing with as well. Um, you know, what is what is kind of the state of, of Iowa because they have been in the news for a lot of stuff that has happened off the field, and and then they end up bringing Kirk Ferentz back uh, with another extension and a raise, which I'm sure fans. Uh, threw a bit of an eyebrow at uh, at times, uh, given the sometimes acrimonious uh, nature that they have w- with Kirk uh, as, as much success as he's had. What is what is kind of the state of Iowa football as we head into another cycle here in the in the spring? I think overall it's pretty healthy here, uh, football wise. Uh, what happened a year and a half ago with uh, the the racial bias and the investigation into that um, it was it was really hard for the the program. No question, they had to remove Chris Doyle, who was. Um, you know, the actually his official title was executive director of Iowa football and was really the primary lieutenant for Kirk Ferentz. And, and uh, if you look at it through two different veins, one, he knew how to build those program uh, players, but he was very, I'll say very militant in somewhat fashion. And, and that was uh, difficult for a lot of people who aren't necessarily used to that from the state of Iowa. And then meaning a lot of cases, uh, whether they're from outside Iowa or people of color, it was really difficult for them to adjust to that. And, and it came across in a lot of ways and it was proven in, in a Hush Blackwell investigation to be um, you know, discriminatory at times. So uh, Chris Doyle was removed. That seems to have helped the program, especially among the players themselves, that, that the clicks that were there before have kind of been removed. Some of the barriers inside, smallest details of all. Now, you know, in recent times, what we saw was the advisory committee uh, that he formed after, well, while this was all going on, that uh, there was really more of a difference of opinion and how the, the committee was to work, how it was supposed to advise him and the players. And, uh, and a former player, uh, you know, David Porter, you know, took charge of it, uh, did some good things, but then, you know, kind of what was his purview? There was a lot of disagreements with that, and it kind of spilled yeah. over into a bi-week meeting among the staff and him in particular. 
and uh, they decided to reformat it, um, redo it. And uh, and so some of those issues are still pretty raw for the program. And I think they're working through them. But I think in some ways it's kind of it's, it's almost healthy because it was was going in the wrong direction. I will say, though, that on the on the field, um, we saw that hiccup from about 2010 through 2014, about a five year period there where Iowa could not have been more bland, more boring or more average than any other program in the country. It was perpetually a seven and five team. And and you saw what you got It was slow and they'd win some games. They go to a bowl game. and That would be it. But since 2015 onward, you know, they've been ranked four times at the end of the year. They're ninth in wins uh, in Division One, uh, third in the Big Ten, just behind Wisconsin. Uh, this year was actually a weaker year on the field than it was in 2020, especially on offense. They're pretty pedestrian, to say, to say yeah. the least. But defensively, they're pretty good. And they're, they're having their highest ranked recruiting classes. And they're doing pretty well there. So... Overall, the program's in a much healthier state in 2022 than it was in 2020, and I think it's 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 arrow is pointing upward. and And again, if if they the Big Ten does decide to, to eliminate divisions, and I know there's been a lot of discussion that oh, oh this this is going to ruin it for all those West teams. Well, the West teams, you know, Wisconsin, other than last year, had a pretty you know had a pretty good run with Michigan. Um, Iowa has beaten Penn State two years in a row. Um, you know, so some of these games are not. You know, in fact, when the last time Iowa played Michigan State, it was 49 to 7. So I don't know that it's going to be uh, such a bloodbath. It's Ohio State, and then and then there's a tier of about four or five teams that could be its opponent every year. And I think this would just make it more equitable for the Penn State to not have that, or Michigan to have that roadblock every single year um, in its own division. And I think it spreads it out. And, and I think Iowa will be there just as often as, as a Wisconsin or, or close to just as often as a Wisconsin or a Penn State. I, on that point, I think you're right, and, and particularly if you're a fan of like an Indiana or a Maryland or a Rutgers, mm-hmm. and you're just trying to build a little bit of momentum and some stability, having to face those four teams that, I mean, the, the difference in recruiting rankings between East and West mm-hmm. is, is really yeah. quite stark. The, the, the most important recruiting territories in the Big Ten footprint outside of the Western Chicago suburbs, which are, you know, as, as I mean, I, I live in Chicago, there's not mm-hmm. that many four-star guys there anymore. Um, they're all in the East yeah. and, and that, and that makes it a challenge. I mean, I, I, I couldn't help but notice here. I mean, I guess 2021 was a little, a little bit of an exception, but Iowa has benefited from some, some really stud guys in state and it looks like they've got more of the ones that they've wanted than, than they haven't. Yeah. But yeah, switching things around a little bit, is going to make things a lot easier for yeah. a Maryland or a Rutgers or somebody that, uh, isn't going to be at that same talent disadvantage six, seven times a year. I, I, I see the appeal. Yeah, for sure. And you look at Indiana in 2020, not certainly not last year, but you know, they had what yeah. six in one year. That's the type of year that could happen once in a generation for for six or seven of those programs. The the kind of the the whether it's a Minnesota or a Maryland or a Rutgers or an Indiana and Illinois that yeah. they can have. And this way, you know, at least on the eastern side, they actually have a chance to to bolt through to win those big games, you know, uh the way it did, you know, against you know, granted, that was a down year for all those major programs except Ohio State. But that then they could get to Indianapolis and have that year where they can remember it 20, 30 years down the road. 
Yeah. Um, so I like that perspective. And then in the West, there you know is again some fear that oh you know they're they're not going to ever get there. And that, that's not going to be true. I mean, Wisconsin's going to have good teams. They'll beat Michigan or Penn State. I will have a few. And and I just I do think it's probably more equitable because I James Franklin's been the most vocal on this issue on divisional play and understandable. Yeah, so, why? Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> because from 2016 through 2019, if there was a 12 team playoff, they would have made it every year. You know, instead they didn't make the playoff once. So you kind of get where he's coming from on that. And, and, uh, you know, and plus it sets up some really good games if they do play, uh, you know, uh, you know, Iowa and, and Wisconsin with regularity. And they, they split those two games last year on the road. And then both games were, you know, pretty dramatic all the way up to the final, final couple seconds. Yeah. Scott, th- thanks so much here for taking some time to chat with us. This, this has been wonderful. I imagine as this story progresses, we will definitely find out about it more, either from your work or some of your colleagues there at The Athletic. Uh, we'll be sure to to, 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 to bring in uh, the links from, from your reporting and your colleagues that are in the show notes and on Extra Points so people can find it. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, you can find me at Scott Docterman, uh, you know, Doc with an H. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm pretty... I, I'm pretty regular on there. So yeah, just uh, hop on and uh, glad to, to interact with you at any time. Hop right. on, if nothing else, to see that that picture that you had of the, the Farmageddon uh, poster, which was, was fantastic. It's really good. We'll, we'll definitely have to put in that, put in that one there too. I know, you know podcasting is a visual medium and everything, but we'll, we'll make sure people can see it. Yeah. Uh, definitely yeah. a great follow. Yeah. My son did that. He's uh, he just graduated from the Minneapolis college of art and design. And we had a conversation about, you know, tra- traveling trophies one day. And I'm like, you know, Kansas state and Iowa state should have one. They should have the Reaper. And I mean, cause the Reaper would be like Ooh. the pulp onions axe Ooh. of the plains. That's a good one. You know? And it's like, so they're both battling for a Reaper and then they go out and then, you know, you're acting like you're, you're, you know, reaping the, the, the weed or whatever, you know, for, for Farmageddon. So uh, yeah, that would, that would be, that's so much more badass than half the other things that are in this league or given around. Like, 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 listen, like, no, I, I under, I know the history. Would I rather play for a gigantic Reaper or a wooden turtle (laughs) or whatever it is that like the, the focus groups put together for the, you know, firemen or whatever, or the land grant trophy, which is like what, 60 pounds of plywood. And like, (laughs) no, I want to read. I want a sword, or I want breakfast pizza, yeah. or I want something that's that's bizarre. I, yeah. I love I love that idea. Next time, next time we talk to Bob, we'll, uh, we'll we'll mention that. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah, you should definitely get that one. And I love the bits, the broken bits of the chair from Minnesota because it's organic. It wasn't that's, created. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, you, you can be weird if it's organic, like the, the little brown jug, right? Mm-hmm. About tainted water supplies in 1904 or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's ridiculous now, but it's great then. Perfect. You yeah. can't you can't force it um, unless you do such a terrible job forcing it like Bob Diaco. But then it kind of uh-huh. becomes full circle and then becomes a treasured Internet artifact. But um, <laughs> I don't think we're quite there yet with a couple of these big Ted ones. Not yet quite. No. All right. Thank, thanks again, Scott. We right. appreciate it. Thank you so much. This show is, of course, presented by Homefield Apparel. Uh, our our friends, uh, shirts that we wear, not just because Homefield gives us money, but because they're also extremely comfortable. They are your leaders in uh, unique, officially licensed collegiate athletic apparel uh, and, and unathletic apparel because it's T-shirts, it's hoodies, it's uh, stickers, it's uh, all the, the, the great things that you can wear or stick on top of other things that include all of the really fun, offbeat, unique, historical logos from your favorite college programs. Um, uh, Brian, we're, we're here talking right now. I'm wearing the uh, University of Miami, Sebastian the Ibis. Um, 
a school that I did not attend. Uh, I think I'm trying to channel that a little bit because we're in the middle of a snowstorm here as I'm talking to you and, and maybe some South Florida vibes would be nice. Um, what, what do Love it. We love it. Well, it's funny because I, I just got the, the shipping notification that uh, sure. I, I'm getting a big old box delivered literally today as, as we tape this. So I'm ex I'm excited. Uh, you know, I, I got to dress up a little bit formally here because I got I'm backing up interviews uh, back to back. But uh, you know, I, I I have a ton of things. I got the slippery rock logo coming through, uh, which which I was really excited to get my hands on. I did not get that way back in the day yeah. when, when it initially came out. So uh, correcting that as well. Plus, uh, you know, just you, you mentioned the hoodies. Uh, those are so key in winter, whether you're traveling, they, they are, they are just the best hoodies. sitting in your basement. Listen, like we again, are, as an Ohio, chilly down here. Uh, those things are, These are the best hoodies for that. And, and wearing around the house. And, and um, so we just spent a lot of time talking about Iowa. Homefield has Iowa. Homefield has almost everybody in the big 10. So if you want some script, Iowa, some angry Hawkeye, you, uh, you want to see uh, a bird trying to drop back and, and throw a pass or the fight for Iowa stuff. You can, you can get all of that. Um, my alma mater is not yet part of this, uh, the home field library. So I have to steal valor from a bunch of other schools, but who knows, maybe, maybe that changes later this year. You can grab your own home field stuff, uh, and which you should, and you should also not pay the full price for it. You should use discount code extra points to save 15% off your first order and, uh, and cover yourself in warm and comfortable and soft collegiate conversation starters from our friends at home field apparel. Um, there's a, a bunch of other stories besides just what's happening right now with, with the Big Ten. Uh, clearly, the, the, what's been one of the epicenters of the college sports universe this week, and really since uh, it feels like the last decades, has, has been Louisville, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at, and if you're not already signed up for the D1 ticker list, um, you know, every week they, they put out that top 10 and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of Louisville coloring that, that top 10 this, this week, because, uh, you know, it, it seems like the, the cards can, can never just escape their, their own selves. I mean, it seems like a scandal or a big issue with the school pretty much every 18 months, if, if not less. And, and it feels like, uh, this week it kind of all came to head certainly on the basketball front. And, and look, that is a school so passionate for that sport, right? You know, really one of the, I, if they're not a blue blood market, right. That's a pro market for college sports. I'm not making an NIL joke. It, it is like, that is, you can't overstate how important Louisville basketball is to that area. Yeah. I mean, if you're not, maybe not quite a true, true, true blue, blue blood, but if they're like, they're like blue blood light, right. In terms of the historical success of that program. And maybe, maybe blue blood. Yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll go from there. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know it's difficult stuff, you know, just the, the acrimony in that state uh, over, over basketball but between uh, them and UK. But uh, I, I think it, it's just a fascinating time in, in Louisville athletics. You have a president that has departed for Penn state. Uh, you have uh, an athletic director who flirted, you know, quite publicly with Florida state and then ended up exiting. Uh, you have uh, a board that has been, uh, I don't want to say if I, I want to go to infighting, uh, but uh, you know, I will. I'll say it. They've been infighting. Yeah, it's messy. It's, it's messy. And and uh, obviously a, a lot of kind of came to the head this week with, with Chris Mack's exit. Um, you know, and, and honestly, I mean, he had a $12 million buyout, which I think a lot of people kind of saw that initial price tag and said, hmm, that, that might be a little bit tough to, to get out of. But I think the situation became so toxic. Um, you know, the, the interim AD basically had to pull the trigger and uh, they, they got a, they negotiated down to under $5 million, which is uh, pretty good nowadays. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances. NCAA has, yeah, has been looking at $5 million. It's pretty good. Yeah. NCAA yep. has been looking into to the program obviously with with the I, I, IARP uh, process still ongoing um, you have the, the whole Dino Gaudio affair with with the FBI and 
and, and extortion claims and everything that went on uh, with, with Chris Mack. And then I think really, honestly, if this had been a winning team, I think a lot of that would, would get overlooked. But uh, the fact is they're not in a good place on the court. And, uh, you know, uh, coming after, you know, really some, some bumps in the roads, uh, it, it was time. And it was certainly a toxic environment, I think, from from a lot of a lot of people's standpoint that, uh, you know, this, this just could not continue. And ultimately, they make a change. I think it's big for uh, the interim AD because um, he's somebody that who's, who's going to interview for the job, who uh, is almost acting like, you know, he, he's the job. And if he ends up nailing this hire, um, you know, that, that's going to be huge for uh, his candidacy because, um, you know, there, there's a lot that, that uh, is near and dear to the heart of Louisville Athletics, but uh, the basketball program first and foremost. It is a little unusual that you would have an interim AD make a decision of this magnitude. Without a school to, president, too. Without, without a school president, right? So, um, and this is a big deal to say if you're an Auburn fan, um, not just because you're probably not going to lose your coach, but you suddenly might get a new coach extension or some money. I think a couple other coaches and a couple other programs are going to leverage this high-profile opening and this timing for more stuff one way or another. So, of course, the kind of tentacles in the story hit probably four or five other programs. Um I feel like, and, and listen, we're, we're a Louisville company now, right? So I feel like I, sh- I should know about some of these things. We want to do a, a, some podcasts, I think, in the coming weeks, just about all of the off-the-field everything with this athletic program. I, there's There's been a meme, maybe we can throw this in the show notes too, about like you know, the, the dad kind of turning around in the backseat begging like the, the Louisville athletic program to be normal and it just cuts to Louisville just screaming. Like anybody on this beat, I feel like, needs a drink and like a trip to Mexico uh, because it's been one weird thing after another. We're also going to have things, I think, detailing the the basketball side of all this a little bit more, but this isn't just a basketball story. And, uh, and Louisville hasn't been just a, a cut and dry what's happening on the field, on the court. Scott Sattersfield did this. Chris Mack did this story. It's been a it's been a lot of a bunch of other stuff. I mean, I used to think, you know, kind of the, the gold standard of, of chaos in terms of the, the athletic beat, as you mentioned, um, it was maybe either Tennessee or USC. You know, I think those two programs yeah. had a lot, especially a couple of years ago. Things have settled down a little bit in, in Knoxville and L.A. So I think by 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 large uh, Louisville, especially when you look at kind of the totality of the past decade and, and everything that has gone on there, um, you know, going back to the days of, of Tom Jurich. Uh, joining the ACC, I mean, it, it has been wild, a wild journey for Cardinals fans in, in general and pretty much everybody that's been following along because it, it's been almost nonstop. And uh, it's going to be very curious the next six to, to eight months, you know, in terms of how that school proceeds. I, I, I don't get any sense, um, you know, that this is going to be a presidential and athletic director search that uh, uh, ends up, uh, you know, being very quick. Uh, I think they're, they're going to take their time on that yeah. front. And, uh, you know, that this is a big hire. I mean, this is a big hire that, that can shape um, not just kind of ACC hoops, but uh, a lot of other programs. You, you mentioned Auburn. I, I don't think Bruce Pearl is, is leaving by, by any chance, but he's going to already talk about an extension. Um, he wants some, some additional things from an administration that's already kind of under fire and, and uh, going through some things as, as well at Auburn. So, yeah, yeah. Real quick, like over, if we're thinking about all of the for God's sakes, just be normal athletic departments, right? Real quick, Tennessee's on that list, certainly. USC, Louisville, Oklahoma, maybe in the last three months. We can't sleep on Auburn. Auburn has also not been chill for, for a while. And so, of course, there's an Auburn component to this Louisville story. I mean, it, it, it just doesn't stop. You know, that, that that's the thing that kind of, you know, uh, is always funny to see is just how it's like you can only, you keep tripping over yourself and you would think you would get back on, on your two feet and you're, you're, you're on your way. But no, 
just going to trip up again. And uh, yeah, I think that's certainly a sense of frustration uh, among Louisville fans and uh, probably a sense of, of fun if you're you know on the, on the, on the blue side of, of things in, in that state and in, in the Commonwealth. But um, honestly, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot. And I think, you know, for, if you're an administrator elsewhere, if you're a fan elsewhere, you also look at, at what's going on at Louisville and, and hopefully learn from, from some of their mistakes because, um, you know, as much, as many as they've been made, um, you know, they have corrected a few issues down the road, you know, at, at times. And I think that's, uh, that's key for them moving forward is, is can they kind of move past this, this entire era and, and hopefully get more on more settled ground. And, and we'll see, because I think, you know, Scott Satterfield, you mentioned him, he, he kind of goes into 2022 a, a bit on the hot seat as well, regardless of what's happening with the, the AD and all that. So, yeah. uh, you know, I just hired a new OC uh, from Notre Dame and, and Lance Taylor. So uh, I think it's just a fascinating test case in terms of college athletics at a period of time where there's a lot going on. Yeah. So still stay tuned to this podcast feed for uh, more on the Louisville beat. As uh, we, we uh, as as uh, outsiders are slowly beginning to unpack our, our new corporate home, um, were there any other big stories we wanted to make sure that we mentioned here? This is a little bit longer than a, a typical podcast, but you're you're by God, you're getting your money's worth here today. Yeah, I mean, I I would love to kind of go into some the rest of the, the top ten list, but we are getting a little bit long here. But uh, honestly, we're covering a lot of this stuff on Collegiate Sports Connect. If you haven't already signed up, if you're an administrator, it, it, it's a great resource. We're doing a lot of videos there. Uh, talk with George, George Klyovkov, the the Pac-12 commissioner, this uh, you know earlier this week. Honestly, you know, schedule as as we mentioned, a, a big thing, the Pac-12. Uh, really in the thick of those alliance talks, want to make some some things, but he had some interesting comments. Uh, you know, to me, just in terms of saying, now look, a, a, as much as the Pac-12 is, is focused on you know media rights and, and providing leadership and, and doing things uh, a little bit different in, in that conference with him taking over, um, you know, th- there's some concerns uh, out west in terms of what the future of the NCAA looks like, especially if there's kind of an employee athlete relationship, uh, which he was very firmly against. I know Bubba Cunningham has, has had some comments similar uh, that came yeah. out this week as well. So uh, a lot going on. We're, we're covering a lot of it, uh, doing some some interesting conversations as well on, on crypto in, in college athletics, um, you know, which is uh, also a hot button topic if you've uh, turned on CNBC or, or Fox Business Network at, at yeah. any point this week. I have literally talked to any straight man on Twitter, I think, over the last month and a half. You've probably heard something about crypto. And, and, and especially the volatility that has occurred this past week. And so it's uh, some interesting kind of putting that stuff in perspective. Um, and so and plus the, this great podcast uh, keep, keeps on ticking. I, I think the Hawaii episode, you know, I heard back from a few folks as well uh, that we had on Wednesday. If you haven't already checked that out, um, yeah. you know, I, I think Toby Ching has, has actually hit the ground running, had, had uh, I believe, a four-star recruit as his first uh, commitment. So, I mean, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to follow that story as we get going as well, but uh, a lot going on in college athletics. It's, it, they say it's an off season. Uh, it, it's definitely not. We, we got signing day next week. We got March Madness around the yeah. corner. There, there is so much going on, and uh, hopefully, we will be there uh, chronicling here on this podcast. I, I'm, I'm happy to to plug Collegiate Sports Connect really quickly. Like right now, if you're an administrator, you definitely need to do it. If you're a media member, it's free. You should do it. There's there's useful and there's newsworthy stuff on there. If you want to dunk on your message board colleagues and prove that you are the smartest person in the room, you could still do this too. Um, the the Klyakov interview is, is excellent. Uh, I also talked to um, a member of Ohio State, what Ohio State Senior Associate Athletic Department staff about their new NIL Edge program. Uh, I think what was how this was depicted on Twitter 
and in the Ohio State message board community is not really an accurate depiction of what it actually is. Uh, so that conversation is also on Connect right now. I know, I know, I know you're, 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 you're surprised to hear this, but this does this does happen occasionally. Well, I mean, interesting stuff too on, on that yeah. interview in particular with with um, you know the Ohio State folks because uh, not only that, that disconnect in terms of what was represented publicly and, and some fans maybe taking things uh, the, the wrong way, but it, it was fascinating to kind of hear their process in terms of how they approached NIL. Obviously, still yeah. a little trepidation, uh, certainly early on. But you know, they, they mentioned you know two hundred and twenty five. Uh, or so uh, out of the thousand athletes, um, you know, had NIL deals, which which was an interesting figure to hear. Um, I, I don't think many schools have put that out there, but um, you no, know. But I'm trying to find it. And yes. if you if you don't, if you would rather leak it to me again, Matt at extra points then be. If you don't, and I can get it through open records, I'm going to get it. So I, I, I we, we we would like to know. How many people in an athletic department? Ohio State's around 22. I don't know if, uh, what you've heard from talking to ADs. Like at the low major level, I'm hearing like 8, 9, 10, 11%. It's not it's not universal by any means. No, and, and I think the, the interesting thing to follow as we kind of move through signing day and, and beyond, especially with the one-time transfer and the transfer portal and everything affecting that, is ultimately, is, is this going to be like a case-by-case basis based on some of the athletes? Like, you know, your swimming coach comes to you and say, I, I got to get this guy. And and you talk with your boosters that way. Is, is that how it's going to play out for some of those Olympic sports athletes? Um, you know, how is it going on with football in terms of the IL deals? I know there's a lot of concern from a lot of ADs that I've talked with about that line being blurred in terms of, is this a recruiting mm-hmm. inducement? And that is, that was a hot button topic when we were at, at the convention in Indianapolis, it's going to be continue to be a hot button topic. You've already heard some stories about the NCAA sniffing around at uh, places like Texas, uh, BYU and Miami. And I, I don't know if there's ultimately anything that's going to happen coming out of those investigations, but uh, I don't. No, I, I don't either. But because uh, I don't think the NCAA wants to kind of dip their toes in the, in those waters. But at the end of the day, I do think they want to kind of be kept abreast of what's going on in in the marketplace. And I had a few coaches who said, you know, it's it's a bit of a wild, wild west. And uh, yeah, it definitely definitely has that feel right now. Yeah, um, we're going to get into all of that uh, very soon. There's been there's been I think some very interesting reporting on uh, how that marketplace looks different for say a top 200 recruit in the Southeast versus literally everybody else uh, in every other sport. Um, so of course, so your homework, you've been with us here this long, extrapointsmb.com. Make sure you're subscribed to the Going for Two feed wherever you get your podcasts, especially if that's on Google, Spotify, or Apple, because you're going to get two of these a week, which is pretty good for free right there. I know, right? We, it's visual visual everything here. Uh, sign up for Collegiate Sports Connect because they have a bunch of other bonus video content. Brian and I are slaving away in the content minds to bring you the information you need to understand how all this crazy stuff works. Uh, you can grab all of it. Most of it's free. The newsletter is not, but it's still pretty affordable. Uh, and buy some things from Homefield Apparel so we can continue to buy t-shirts and sweatpants. Uh, thanks so much here for listening, everybody. We will catch up with you next week. <laughs>